Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. We're going to be this morning spending our time in actually two different passages of Scripture today. Uh, We'll be in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 12, and then we'll also be in 1 Corinthians 4. And, uh, and I'll be providing verses uh, throughout our time this morning. And uh, so you can put your finger here and then also in 1 Corinthians 4. As you're turning there, just to remind you uh, about our members meeting, our Fresh Encounter service, and our pitch-in uh, next Sunday night uh, starting at 5 o'clock uh, here in this room. And uh, this is really for everybody. So I know it's a members meeting, but you don't have to be a member to come. In fact, we uh, strongly encourage even those of you who aren't members to be there uh, just because of the nature of what we discuss in those meetings has uh, huge implications for the life of our church. And so for those of you who are regular attenders, uh, this is a good kind of a sneak preview of what it means to be a member as we'll be voting on at least one item uh, next week. That item that we'll be voting on uh, is a motion that the elders are proposing to the congregation uh, to launch a third campus in Castleton. And so this is something that uh, we've been uh, praying about. The elders had a, a retreat and talked about this and believe the Lord is leading us to launch our third campus in Castleton after we've adopted uh, the chapel property. And, uh, and so we'll be discussing that timing and strategy and, and all of that on Sunday night and actually voting uh, to move forward with that. And, uh, and so come and, uh, and for the very, very least, just come for the, for the good food as we'll have a pitch in at five. And so if you're wondering what do I need to bring uh, there's a link in the bulletin or in the most recent e-news uh, where you can get on there and see what you can bring, and that will be a great time of fellowship, prayer, worship, and just talking about where we feel like the Lord's leading our church uh, in the next season. So with that, let's read uh, God's Word, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pause and just give you praise for the power of your word. God, we thank you that it is alive and active. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it, it pierces to the depths of our hearts. And God, I pray that it would not only uh, correct, but also even encourage and inspire uh, this morning. Lord, I pray through the power of your Spirit, God, that you would make this word come alive to our hearts and draw us to repentance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we launched a four-week sermon series called All In, where we're looking at making our passion practical. And throughout this series, we're looking at uh, different ideas throughout Scripture related to stewardship, generosity, time, and money. And so we're primarily talking about the foundational principles 
related to stewardship, which we learned that last week, it applies to everyone and probably in ways that we didn't even imagine. I just want to remind you that the aim of this series is not what I want from you, but what I want for you. And just by way of review, last week, uh, we looked at four really foundational principles for stewardship. Let me just uh, remind you of what those are. Number one is God is the creator and the owner of everything. So that means that I need to watch for an owner attitude versus a stewarding attitude. Then number two, we looked at how God created men and women in his image. And what that means is that there's divinely given value in what we do when it's done well and when it's done for God's glory. And then number three, we looked at how stewardship means taking real steps and actions. This idea of stewardship is not just theoretical, but it's incredibly practical. And then fourthly, we looked at how God has given us gifts that are to be used. So I need to see God's provision of these gifts the right way, and then be committed to using them in a way that fits with his plan. And so today, we're just taking our next step, okay, in this whole idea of stewardship, that when we correctly understand what it means to be biblical stewards, the logical and even the biblical next step is to understand generosity. And so what I want us to see this morning is how generosity and stewardship go hand in hand, how they go together. In fact, I would go as far as saying that what it means to be a Christian is being generous. That if I were to ask you this morning, hey, how do you know if someone's a Christian? Like, what would be your list of characteristics where you can see someone is a follower of Jesus? I I wonder if generosity would be near the top of that list. I'm sure you'd have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure you'd have all kinds of different things. But my prayer, my hope is that after today that we would be convinced that to be a Christian means to be generous. And so I want to show you how this works and how this works. And again, I'm going to be in two different places this morning. I'll be in 2 Corinthians 9 and also 1 Corinthians 4, just kind of jumping back and forth. And what I'm going to do this morning is just pull out from these texts biblical principles related to the foundational idea of stewardship and the biblical idea of generosity. And so something that's going to help us this morning is uh, my big idea. This is going to help anchor our time together today, and I'll be spending the rest of this morning kind of unpacking this main idea in both passages. So here's the big idea, is that faithful stewards are motivated by grace to live generously with gratitude, okay? Faithful stewards are motivated by grace to live generously with gratitude, okay? So that's what we're aiming for, and so let's unpack it here. Here's principle number one here. Go back here. Um, faithful stewards are convinced that everything that I have comes from God. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 here, where Paul says to not just regard us as servants of Christ, but also as stewards. And then he says specifically as stewards of the mysteries of God. And so Paul is helping us see that our role within God's kingdom is to be a steward. And what it means to be a steward is that I don't own anything. That within God's kingdom, within God's economy, everything that I have first comes from God. One thing that's going to help us understand what Paul is driving at here 
is Paul is leaning into this issue of stewardship at the church of Corinth because this church was struggling with pride and they had a sense of entitlement. The city of Corinth was a major hub in modern-day Greece between the trade routes of the east and the west, that it was a thriving port city and a cultural center spot. This city was marked by wealth, was marked by intelligence, was marked by artistic creativity, but also immorality. This would describe much of the same of any major city around our world. It kind of sounds familiar. In short, this city of Corinth, this church here, in fact, had an owner mentality, not a stewarding mentality. And so Paul is speaking into the need for them to view not only the spiritual leaders as stewards, but also as themselves as stewards. And he's doing that so their mindset would shift from thinking that everything I have is mine to believing that everything I have is actually God's. And so God how do you want me to use it? In fact, that word steward in 1 Corinthians 4.1, the word that Paul uses in the Greek, it carries this idea to be entrusted with managing a household. And it conveys the, the notion of delegated authority and account, uh, accountability. It was actually often used for household management where the owner of the house would entrust the care and the upkeep of his house to someone else namely a servant. And so they were responsible to be faithful stewards by caring for the house, not as they would want to care for the house, but as the owner of the house would want. See, what Paul is doing here is he's using this word to help us see that God has made us stewards, whereby he entrusts his money, his resources, his gifts, his influence, his time to us and that we'll be held responsible and accountable for how we use those things. So there's a strong measure of accountability when we think about stewardship because everything that I have comes from God. In fact, the reason why this point is so important is because when you boil it down, I think that there are two different ways of viewing your life and your resources. And depending on where you fall, shows a lot about your maturity as it relates to this idea of stewardship. Of view number one, one way to view your life and your resources is to say that everything that I have belongs to me, that my whole life belongs to me. In fact, all of the resources that I have is a result because I earned it. And yet, because I'm a good person and because I'm a good Christian, I think to myself, what do I owe to God? Like, what of mine belongs to him? What portion do I need to give to him? You almost think about it like a God tax. Like, what's, what's the God tax in my life? Like, what do I have that, that I need to give back to God? And it has this immature view of stewardship and your resources because you basically believe everything is yours. You just need to give a small portion to God. And yet the second view, the, the view that's way more mature, believes that everything that I have belongs to God. Every penny belongs to God. Every gift that I have belongs to God. In fact, every breath that I take comes from God. He's just loaning it out to me. And so the question is, God, how do you want me to use everything that I have for your glory and for your use? See, it's in the same way. If you're a financial advisor, someone hands you a $500,000 check, you don't use that money however you want to. Like you use that money to best maximize that money 
to best serve your clients. In the same way, God has given us everything. Everything that we have is from him. And so we don't use it however we want. We use it however God wants to use it. Paul even says a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, just jump down there. He says this, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see Paul's point there? He says, you've received everything from God, so don't boast or think as if you've earned whatever you have. That everything you have first comes from God. This is really, really helpful. See, Paul is addressing kind of this default mindset that many of us have, especially as Americans. The default mindset is, because I worked hard, I earned this, and so this is mine. And so as a result, I determine how it is that I use whatever I earn and whatever I worked for. And so Paul's addressing that mindset, and he's saying, no, God owns everything. You're just a steward of everything that God has given you. And so the result is, is that we We shouldn't think about our gifts and our time, our money, our toys, our resources, our relationships, or even our suffering as as thinking of like a God tax, of what portion of this belongs to God. But we should believe that everything I have first comes from God. So God, how do you want me to use that? It's really important in understanding what it means to be a generous person and a faithful steward. Not only that, but number two, here's the second principle I want us to see, is that faithful stewards understand that motives matter. That motives matter. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Paul says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, isn't that an interesting word that Paul uses to describe what kind of stewards were to be? Like, he picks he picks. Be faithful. It doesn't say be loving stewards. It doesn't say be honest stewards or be hardworking stewards or committed. He says be faithful stewards. It's an interesting word. Like, like being faithful can sometimes be hard to define or even measure, can it? Like it can be difficult to think, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? Well, in answering that, I first want to try to describe what it cannot mean. Okay, this is kind of helpful to describe what it means, but first, what is faithfulness as a, as a steward? What, what cannot it mean? Cannot mean. First, faithfulness as it relates to stewardship cannot mean only operating out of abundance. Okay, so being a faithful steward cannot mean that the only times in which you're generous is when you kind of have a surplus of resources or time or money. That the only times that you're generous is when you have Uh, kind of a bonus in your paycheck, and that's what you're going to give. Or you look at your schedule, and you've got a little bit more margin in your schedule, so you're going to be generous with your time. Generosity is not, what do I have extra or left over? But true biblical generosity is giving your first and your best. Another thing that faithfulness cannot mean is faithfulness cannot mean having a checklist mentality. It cannot mean kind of listing out things that you're going to do for God to be generous and then kind of checking those things off your to-do list almost begrudgingly. 
And we don't measure faithfulness by a to-do list. I mean, husbands, we, we know this to be true. Like if I asked you, husbands, how do you know that you're faithful to your wife? I hope that you're not going to whip out a to-do list or a checklist saying, well, I've taken out the trash, I've bought my wife flowers, I've cleaned the dishes. Like we don't measure faithfulness with a checklist of things that you've crossed off. We measure faithfulness by what comes from the heart. That there's something deeper that we need to get to when talking about faithfulness and being a faithful steward. Which leads me to my third thing that it cannot mean. That faithfulness cannot mean just focusing on the external. That being a faithful steward as it relates to generosity cannot mean doing the right thing when your heart and your motives are twisted. It's not being generous and, and having kind of this dread in your heart. See, I think what Paul is getting at here when he's talking about faithfulness is he wants us to look at what is in our hearts. That faithfulness is a matter in a condition of what's going on in here. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 and the emphasis that Paul puts on the heart. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think the point is that a faithful steward understands that motives matter. Motives matter because motives, they drive and they shape our generosity and our stewardship. So I think what Paul is doing here is he's actually changing the scorecard of what it means to be generous. He wants us to see that the emphasis needs to be on the condition of our heart, not on how much we're being generous with. He wants us to start thinking, why be generous? Like, what's going on inside? In fact, Paul even says, look, don't give reluctantly or half-hearted. Like, that's a bad motivation. And then he says, don't, don't give under compulsion or feeling pressured or forced. It's another bad motivation. But he says, give as a cheerful giver. Be a happy giver. Allow that to be the condition of your heart. And in fact, we, we get our English word hilarious from this word that Paul uses for cheerfulness. That in the Greek, it's, it, it's hilaros. And so there's this sense of having a heart that's filled with such cheerfulness and joy and delight and happiness that out of that reality, we are to be generous. And so what Paul's not saying is to kind of giggle every time you tithe or serve or give up of your time, but there's a cheerfulness and a joy that's driving your generosity. And I think deep down, like we all want to be that kind of giver. Like we want to be a, a hilarious giver. We want to be a giver that's driven out of cheerfulness and joy in our hearts. Paul even goes further to describe the condition of our hearts. Look, look with me at 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So Paul says that on the judgment day, everything will be brought to light, including the purposes of your heart that the motives that, that drove your actions will be exposed and you will be given payment from God based on that. So look, th this is really, really important. It, it really begs the question, 
Like, what is driving your heart when you're generous? Like, why do you give money? Why do you give your time? Why, why do you serve? Why do you give up your resources? Why do you use your gifts? Like, if you're handy, like, why do you help other people with, with other things for, and with people who aren't as handy as you? Like, why do you use your resources? What, what are the motives that are driving your generosity? See, th- there's a much better question to ask when, when thinking about generosity than how much should I give? And the question is, is why should you give? See, when you answer the why question, that takes care of the how much you should be generous. See, Paul's driving at the condition of our heart as being absolutely foundational to what it means to be a generous person, that motives matter. And yet we all know this to be true, that motives matter, and yet motives are really, really tricky. Like, pinning down your motives for why you do what you do can be really, really difficult. And so I just want to spend a couple more minutes on this point. And I want, to, I want to suggest that there are kind of three categories of motivations for why we are generous. In fact, I would almost go as far as saying that all of us fall under one of these three motives in talking about generosity. Okay, so here's number one. Number one is guilt. And I think that this is, this is one of the predominant, most popular motivation for why many give is that they're driven by guilt. And this may come about because they've heard maybe a one-off sermon on generosity or they read a verse about being generous in Scripture and something started to develop in their heart where this guilty feeling was just festering. And so you might think to yourself, I need to get rid of this guilt and so I'm going to give in order for this guilt to go away. And so you realize that that guilt is actually driving your generosity. Or you might look to other people, and you might, you might think to yourself, man, I'm not giving as much as this person, or I'm not serving as much as this person, or using my time like this person. And so that guilt starts to fester, and so you want that guilt to go away, and so you give more. That guilt is, is an awful master. That this being driven by shame and and guilt with your generosity is, is not biblical. Number two, another a really popular motivation is greed. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but follow me here. And this motivation fits someone who believes that if God owns it all, then if I'm a good person and I give a little bit, then surely God's going to give me more. And this mindset really falls in line with the prosperity gospel, or what I would call anti-gospel, the the false gospel that says, if you are faithful and if you do what is right, God's going to make you healthy and God's going to make you wealthy. See, that prosperity gospel is kind of coming into the church where if you do what is right, God's going to give you a happy, easy, comfortable, wealthy life. And those who hold to the prosperity gospel must have ripped out of the Bible the whole book of Job must have ripped out all of the Gospels because the, the example that Jesus gives has nothing to do with the prosperity gospel. And this, this motivation of greed, it elevates the gifts above the giver. That if you want to be generous, you're hoping that God gives you more financially. So I'm going to give more so God gives me more. You don't really want God. You just want the things that God gives you. And to be honest, it's, it's idolatry. 
Number three here, the motivation that I would recommend, that I would propose, is grace. It's grace, okay? Being motivated by grace found in the gospel of Jesus Christ is far more powerful, is far more lasting to being a generous person than guilt or greed. In fact, this is what it means to be a cheerful giver, is that you are motivated by grace. In fact, look with me at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Look how Paul describes it. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So Paul says that God is able to fill our hearts with grace. Why? So that we are able to do every good work. So Paul is connecting this idea of being filled and motivated with grace that he gives so that the result is good works. And in this context, it's being generous. So being motivated and empowered by grace has the mindset that because of of what God has done, that because God has been ridiculously generous to me, therefore I want to show the same kind of generosity to those around me. This motivation of being filled with grace is so different than guilt and greed. Being motivated by grace is understanding all that God has done for you. And not just materialistically, not just financially, not just with your job or relationally or your gifts or how he's wired you, but understanding all that God has done for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Understanding that God did not hoard and keep his own son but he graciously and generously gave you his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins so that you might have eternal life. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how incredibly generous God has been by giving up his son, Jesus. And when that reality gets deep inside your bones, you can't help but be generous in every area of your life. Like I know that maybe some of you are, are here today and you're not, uh, you're not a Christian. And you're here and you're, you're hearing a sermon on generosity. And you're wondering like, man, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what is this all about? I just, I just want to stop and I just want to encourage you if, you. if you hear anything, hear this, that God loves you. That God is pursuing you today. That, that there's a reason why if you're not a Christian and you're in this room like, Think about that for a moment, that if you're not a Christian, like you're in church on a Sunday morning instead of sleeping in, like God is coming for you. God is wooing you to himself. He's pursuing you. And the one thing I want to highlight is the fact that God has generously given you a gift of free eternal life found in Jesus Christ. And my, my encouragement, my, my plea for you is to come to faith in Jesus, to surrender it all to him and to take that step of placing your faith upon him so that you can be saved, so you can experience what what living a life of joy and generosity is all about. So I encourage you, if you're not a believer here, and there's something stirring in you about the generosity of God through Jesus, like be right down here in the front, would love to talk more about what that looks like, or what might be better is that you turn to the person next to you after the service, and you say, hey, what's this thing all about with Jesus? Like, I want to learn more. And I guarantee the person next to you would love to share more about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. 
But look, this, this gospel of grace is the foundation for what it means to be motivated rightly in being a generous person. In fact, being motivated by grace, what it does is it actually takes the lid off of our hearts, the lid of greed off of our hearts so that we give freely. And yet not only that, what grace does is grace actually protects our hearts from guilt, trying to poke holes in our hearts so the generosity leaks. See, being motivated by grace is, is the only motivation that will last, and it's the only motivation that is powerful enough for us to actually get close to what God has given us. So faithful stewards are motivated by grace. The next principle, number three, that I want us to see is that faithful stewards are marked by open-handed generosity. Faithful stewards are marked by open-handed generosity. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 11. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, what's the result of being cheerful in your heart from verse 7? What's the result of having the correct motives? Paul would say that you'll be enriched in every way to be generous. That in other words, when your heart is open, it's being filled with grace, the result is that your hands will be open to be generous and, and live in that way. Now, just to, just to briefly illustrate this point, um, when I'm taking the groceries inside from the car, inside my house, I, I have a little competition with myself. Now, I hope I'm not the only one in here, but for me, my competition is I try to only make one trip from my car to inside the house. Now, just to help me, who, who else does that in here? Okay, great. Okay, a lot of you, good. So for me, I don't exactly know why I, I do this. I don't know if I'm feeling guilty because I've already fallen off the horse of my New Year's resolution of hitting the gym consistently, and I just want a quick workout or a confidence booster. But this is like what I aim for. I try to get all the groceries in from my car, inside the front door on one trip. And so if you would watch me do this, like I look absolutely crazy. Like I've got all the groceries like strapped on my arms. Like I've got this, this white knuckle death grip on my hand, just carrying so many bags. And what inevitably happens is I get to the front door and I can't open the door. Like my hands are so full of my stuff that, that I can't reach the front door. And whenever, this is a little insight into the Beals household, but whenever daddy goes to the store, like my three-year-old daughter knows that daddy has, has just bought me a cookie or something. He's bought me a treat. And so Ellie is just waiting for me at the front door. And so she's like, she watches me just struggle every time I bring in the groceries. And I guarantee she's thinking this thought. She's thinking, daddy, just, just let go of that death grip and open the door and hand me the cookie. Like, I, I know that she's thinking that in her mind. And so what inevitably happens is I kind of get over my pride, I lower the groceries, and I open up the front door, and I hand her the treat. Now, the reason why I share that with you is because that is a picture. In fact, that's kind of a metaphor for how many of us view the stuff in our lives. Now, for many of us, we, we have this death grip. Like we have, we're white-knuckling our money, 
our resources, our gifts, our time, everything that we have, we're holding it like this to the point where we can't possibly be generous and bless other people. And yet, look, look at what Paul said in verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you will be generous. So why does God give you stuff? Why has God gifted you in almost every way so that you can be generous with it? And yet the reality for many of us, the reality and the, the posture of our hearts is that we're holding our stuff like this instead of like this so that two things are happening. Like number one, when we hold our stuff like this, we're missing out on the opportunities to bless other people. But not only that, we're missing out on the opportunities for God to bestow blessings in our lives. Like when you hold everything in your life like this, instead of like this, God can't place things in your life that he wants to give you. And God wants to unleash his abundance in your life, not just financially, but spiritually in your life. But you can't receive it because your hand is curled like this. This idea of stewardship is, is not so much what I want from you. It's what I want for you, that God has orchestrated stewardship and generosity to be the means by which God multiplies his mission in the world by blessing other people, yes, but also the means by which he unleashes his abundance in your life. See, Paul says you will be enriched in every way. Like this, I, this barely means financial. I think this means predominantly spiritually that when you are generous, what happens to your heart? The Lord enriches your heart to be content. The Lord enriches your heart. He enlarges your heart to be more compassionate. When you're generous, what the Lord does is he gives you a kingdom mindset as he grows your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That there is blessing after blessing after blessing of what the Lord does in your life when you are actually generous that he wants to enrich you in every way. There's example after example in, in Scripture of this principle. My, one of my favorites is Matthew 14, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. I think more likely Jesus probably fed 15 or 20,000 because that just records the men. There were women and children there. And if you know the story, you know that Jesus spent all day teaching this large crowd of people, and the people are starting to get hungry. And so the people get hungry, and what do the disciples say? Disciples say, hey, Jesus, send them to the, to the town or the city and, and let them get food over there. Like, we don't, we don't have enough resources. And yet, there's a boy there who generously gives up five fish, two loaves, basically says, Jesus, can you use this? And what does Jesus do through the generosity of that boy? Jesus not only multiplies his mission by serving the needs of the people around them, but Jesus also unleashes abundance in that boy's life and in the people around him. Remember what happened after they were well-fed and satisfied? Twelve baskets full extra. See, the Lord wants to do so much more in our lives when we are generous, not just meeting the needs of other people, but he wants to, he wants to enrich you in every way within your own heart. See, my hope and my prayer is that, is that you came here today for Jesus. Like, that's, that's what I pray. As I'm 
driving in here, as I'm spending time this week with the Lord, my prayer for College Park Fishers is that you would come here with an expectation and a a lean-in posture for Jesus. And I hope that's true for you, that you got in the car today, that you got dressed, you got ready, that you, you know, got all the kids ready, and that you came here because you want Jesus. And I know that there's probably some of us who are thinking to yourself, man, would you, would you stop preaching on generosity? Like, preach on Jesus. Like, why are you, why are you preaching on stewardship? Preach, preach on the gospel. Get, give me more Jesus. And yeah, I just want to push back a little bit because if you correctly understand the life of Jesus and you're falling more in love with Jesus, you'll understand that the closer you get to Jesus, the more generous of a person you will actually be. See, generosity is the backside or the response from receiving the gospel of Jesus. That if the front side, if the front door is God graciously and generously sending his son to die for us, then the response is that we will in return be a generous people. And so like, if you want more of Jesus, then understand that the person of Jesus and what he exemplified in his life was full of generosity. And so the closer you draw to Jesus, the more your life will be marked by open hands and open-handed generosity because you love Jesus. So don't, don't create a false dichotomy, a separation between Jesus and generosity. They go hand in hand. In fact, I would go as far as saying that one of the most powerful effects of the gospel going deeper in our souls is that it frees our fingers and it loosens our grip on our goods. That generosity is is one of the greatest evidences of truly being a Christian. In fact, the gospel is the only thing that's strong enough to loosen our white-knuckle grip on our lives. That's seeing and savoring the immense generosity that God has demonstrated by sending Jesus, allowing that to fill your heart will result in you living a life of generosity. There's a lot more I could say on that, but the question that I hope that you're wondering this morning, the question that I was wrestling with really all week is, what does it mean to be generous? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? And like, just through wrestling with this, like, I don't think generosity is, is something that you can like, conquer. Like that you get to a point where like, okay, I'm generous like, and I'm done. Like, I think that generosity is something that you can continue to grow in and continue to take steps. And so I want to help us kind of understand what it means to be generous by identifying five markers that you are growing in your generosity. Okay, five markers. Here's number one. You can tell that you're growing in your open-handed generosity by number one, you've stopped playing the comparison game. Okay, what I mean by that is that you've stopped trying to figure out how much the person next to you is giving or serving or sacrificing and trying to use that as your standard. You can tell that you're growing in, excuse me, in your generosity by using God as your standard for being generous, not the people around you. It doesn't really matter what the people around you are. You're responding to what God has placed in your heart to being a cheerful giver and using that as your standard. Number two, another marker that you can tell that you're growing in generosity is that you actually enjoy giving generously. 
Like there's not a, a dread whenever you sacrifice or whenever you give, but there's actually a cheerfulness and a joy. And the reality is, is that many of us, we give to College Park Church online. And for a lot of us, we have kind of an automatic withdrawal that automatically goes to College Park. And I, I just wonder, when you see that on your bank statement that you've given to College Park Church, is there a sense of dread that first enters your heart of, oh man, that was a big hit? Or is there a sense of, of joy of, wow, like the Lord has given me all of this and I get to give back to the church and there's this joy and this cheerfulness? Or if you see your name that you're serving in children's ministry this Sunday, is there a first reaction of, man, I got I to gotta serve, and I got to get up early, and I got to do this and that? Or is there joy understanding, man, I get to invest in the next generation? Like, that is such a blessing to be able to give my time and my energy. Or for those of you who are gifted in so many different ways, and you see an opportunity to step into someone's life and help them, is there first kind of a dread of, oh, man, I got to give up my time and use my gifts in this way. I probably won't get paid for it. Or is there, this, is there a sense of which, you know what, I don't even own this. This is God's. And I get, to, I get to lean into this and help someone out. Is there joy that's connected to your generosity? The next one here, number three, is that you've noticed that there's kind of an upward trajectory to your generosity. That you've gotten to a point with your generosity where you're giving more and more. And just take financially out of the picture for a moment. You're, you're looking at your life, at your free time, at your resources, at your gifts, at your toys, at all the things God has given you. And you're becoming more and more and more generous. That there's not a cap or a limit to your generosity. I love the, the story of, of Francis Chan who is a well-known Christian leader. He used to be a pastor out in Simi Valley, California, a pretty affluent area. And he tells a story of how God taught him generosity, specifically in the realm of finances, where he and his family just for whatever reason chose 10% to tithe to the church, to give to the church. And one year, they decided as a family, hey, let's try 15%. Let's see what the Lord does with that. And so they gave 15% and they experienced verse 11 of being enriched in every way. And they started to fall in love with generosity. And the next year they gave 20% and then 30% and then 40%. They went all the way up to 90%. Francis Chan was giving away his income. Now he was writing books at the time, but he was giving away 90% of his income because he fell in love with this idea of generosity because it's not so much what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. You notice that you're growing in generosity, not just financially, but with every other arena of your life because the Lord's doing a work in your heart. Number four is that others are taking notice of your generosity. And this isn't because you're flaunting it, but it's because people are just noticing, man, you're, you're really generous with your time. Or man, you're, you're really generous with with the gifts that God has given you. Like, why are you so generous? That even unbelievers in your life are like, man, you are so generous. Like, why is that the case? And so people are starting to take notice of that. It might even create an opportunity to share the gospel as you're being marked by someone who's so very generous. It's a beautiful opportunity to explain what Jesus has done in your life. And then the last thing here, this is something the Lord's working in my heart with, but you, start, you stop asking the question, how much should I give? And you start asking the question, 
what am I not giving and why am I not giving it? Like that, that's, a big, that's a big step. When you, you've crossed over from living a life of open-handed generosity, when you start asking this question, and, and no doubt God has given us things to meet our needs within our lives and with our families. God has I- even given us things for our own enjoyment. But then there are things and, and resources God has given us to give directly back to him or to give other people. And so that, that's the question we have to ask ourselves is, what in my life am I not giving to the Lord? Am I not using for his glory and, and why? And when you start asking that question in every area of your life, you know that you're starting to grow in your generosity. And so faithful stewards, they're, they're marked by open-handed generosity. Here's the last principle I want to I share with us this morning. The last principle is that faithful stewards demonstrate a lifestyle of gratitude. A lifestyle of gratitude. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 11 and 12. It says, And you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And so did you, did you catch the result of generosity there? The result is thanksgiving and gratitude to God. That faithful stewards are filled with gratitude to God. In fact, thanksgiving actually becomes a theme of your life. That faithful stewards are just overwhelmed and and just so taken aback by all that God has done for them that their whole life becomes a life of thanksgiving to him. This is also a really good indicator that you're growing and being a more generous person because thanksgiving to God for what he has provided for you reveals your belief that everything you have comes from God to begin with. Does that make sense? Like when you truly believe that, that everything has has been given to you from God. It all comes from him. That changes how you view everything. You don't look at anything the same way. You start to become more thankful for your job and your relationships and your energy and your time and opportunities and your resources, even your pain, because it all comes from God. In fact, I would say that a lack of thankfulness to God is always connected to a discontented heart. Like, have you noticed that in your own life? Like, I've noticed that in my life. When I'm least content, it's usually because I'm least thankful in that moment. Or if you flip it, like, when I'm most content, it's usually because I am most thankful in that season of my life. And so where's, what's the level of your thanksgiving in your life? Like, would other people characterize you as someone who is filled with gratitude for all that God has done for you. And gratitude actually ends up being the fuel for, for, for ongoing generosity. That the more that you're filled with gratitude, the more generous you seem to become. And the more generous you are, the, the more your heart is filled with gratitude. It's almost like this, this never-ending cycle of generosity and gratitude, and it's all centered on God as the owner of everything. And so a faithful steward is motivated by grace to live generously with 
gratitude. So this morning, we, it's just been a lot kind of thrown at you this morning. We've been singing a lot. And so, again, we just we want to create more space and time for, for you and for us just to respond to what the Lord is doing in our lives. It's kind of a heavy topic. This might be a new category for many of us. And we're going we're gonna to sing one last song and just allow you to just interact with the Lord. And I just want to, I want to pastorally encourage you not to immediately go to how much or what should I be generous with. But I just want to encourage you to first just wrestle with why should I be generous. I want you to, to wrestle with what's going on inside of your heart this morning. To look at what, what are the motives that are, that are driving your life. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you've noticed that, that your generosity has been motivated by greed or guilt. And you want to confess that to the Lord and, and fill your heart with the grace of the gospel. Or maybe you're here and you've been thinking through, man, I, I've been falling into that God tax mentality. And I, I need to turn from that and believe that everything I have, everything is God's. Maybe you notice that you've been falling into that comparison game, that your generosity, you're trying to match other people or imitate other people. Or maybe there's a lack of thanksgiving in your life that you just need to do some business with God this morning and, and just ask the Lord to make you a cheerful giver, to fill your heart with the grace of the gospel so every area, every arena of your life is drenched with generosity. And so we're going to sing this last song. This is one of my favorite songs. It's called Jesus Paid It All. And if you need more gospel in your life, you need more grace in your life, I just want to encourage you to focus on the lyrics, focus on the immense generosity of the Father sending, giving his only son to redeem us from our sins. Allow that to fill your heart this morning, fill you with grace, and to impact your life with generosity. So let's pray together and we'll stand and sing. God, we stop and give you praise for how generous you are. God, we are blown away by all that you have given us. God, we don't even know where to begin to thank you, to give you praise. But God, we do offer our lives. We offer every area of our life and we just say, God, it's all yours. And Lord, I just pray specifically, Lord, as we live in a culture that's so entitled that views all that we have as mine. God, we live in a culture that elevates envy. God, we fall into this trap of, of comparison so much. God, we need the power of the gospel to free us, to help align our hearts with what it means to be biblical stewards who are generous. And so God, would you even use this last song to, to stir in our hearts generosity that's motivated by grace? So God, would you work, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.